Thank you, Jeremy and the worship team. Um, good stuff. Uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, that's where we'll be this morning. It's great to see Brooke here today. So thankful uh, to be going through God's Word and uh, to especially the book of Ecclesiastes uh, as we think about uh, this meaningless life that we have, uh, this life that um, we're looking and searching and wanting uh, fulfillment and hope and yet is leaving us wanting over and over again. It's uh, leaving us empty uh, and uh, I'm so thankful for the correction of God's Word and the direction as well that it gives us as we look uh, into it, as we study it even this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you, uh, starting in chapter 8, verse 1, uh, down through verse 13. And God's Word says this, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of of a thing. A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, uh, keep the king's command uh, because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty and go from his presence. Uh, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the, the king is supreme, and and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a, a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for he cannot tell him how it will be. No man has power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. For this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the, the wicked buried. They, they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things, this also is vanity. Because the sentence uh, uh, against the evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will, uh, it will be well for those who fear God. Because those... Uh, before him because they fear before him but it will not be well uh, for the wicked uh, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God God we ask that you would mark us with your word that you would teach us now that you would uh, correct and remove that which is in us that is wrong and encourage our hearts to walk faithfully with you. God, help us to see ourselves in light of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
There's quite a few things in here that are reoccurring themes, and one is one of wisdom. Now, uh, let me let me just try to get this into us before we get rolling here. This idea of wisdom in the Scripture, I would say both in the book of Ecclesiastes as well as Proverbs, uh, is, is common. It's good for everybody. It's good to be wise. Um, the unbeliever could read the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs and gain much wisdom from them. Uh, many tips on life, on how to live. And yet, uh, just because they do wise or know wise does not mean they have a relationship with the God of the universe. And so wisdom in and of itself is limited, uh, just as we are limited. Um, and even we struggle with attaining wisdom, right? It's not that uh, uh, we struggle with the idea of understanding what it is to do and then being able to do it, actually uh, go about it. As we look at this first verse here, it, it kind of starts out and can pr provide for us um, uh, kind of an intro this morning. It says, who, who is like the wise? Meaning uh, this idea of superiority, like the, there's something great about it. It, it looks unique, uh, the one who is wise, but not just the one who is wise, he goes on to say, who knows the explanation of things or the thing? Uh, it's the idea of wisdom applied. It's one thing to be wise and then to now go apply it to the issues of life. And yet it tells us even more. A person, uh, it says a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. This idea that wisdom that you have, wisdom applied, uh, to a particular thing, and then wisdom worked out, there's benefits to it, uh, even though we are limited in getting those things, that uh, there, it, it's going to go well for the one who is wise. And now he's going to go on to a section that really gives us two general uh, points of wisdom. First is speaking about the king, the king, and then speaking about it in terms of the king, the king. Uh, the God of the universe. And so we're going to look at those this morning. And I, I know that most of you already believe this. You, you already uh, believe in the idea that there's uh, a position that you take before those who are in authority, humans here down on this earth. Um, and also you believe that there's a relationship that you have with the God of the universe. Um, but as we look at this, I think this morning the Lord wants to remind us of our positions in life. Uh, most of us struggle with being high and mighty. We struggle with saying, I'm going to just do what I want. I have a better idea than everybody else. Sometimes we watch the news and we think we could be president, right? Uh, we think we could be the, the smartest man in the world or the smartest woman in the world. We think that. Um, and yet uh, we look at this passage and it shows us our spot uh, both before man and before our Lord. First of all, we look at obeying, obeying the king or obey the king. In verse 2, uh, it says, keep the king's command or obey the king, obey the king's command. It seems obvious, and by the way, uh, you've heard me um, 
waffle in our uh, study of the book of Ecclesiastes on who the writer is in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I say uh, it's the preacher, that's the word that's translated, or the one who has a message, and most of the time I say, well, and we believe this to be Solomon, and you know, Solomon was probably the one, and we believe this to be Solomon, but it could be somebody else. It's this type of passage. There's a couple of places where it refers to it, where he acts like he's not the king. Uh, it would be odd if Solomon, it would sound awkward, and he'd have to be kind of talking about his own situation to be saying, uh, obey the king. And if he said it in those terms, he would be saying, obey me in a low-key sort of way. So anyways, uh, just something to think about as we go to God's word this morning. It says, obey the king's command, I say, because you, t- uh, because you took an oath before God. This idea here, it's a struggle to translate, but it's this idea that God, both in your life and in the life of the king, he has ordained that. He has ordained that. And possibly this idea that uh, the, the reader would have had to have said an oath saying, I will pledge my loyalty to the king. And this is uh, very important for you to remember that as you answer an authority, an authority here on this earth, whether it be uh, someone who is an authority over you as a politician, a boss, a teacher, there's this placing of yourself under authority. Uh, We struggle with this as uh, Americans because we realize the value of all people as equal. Um, Be careful with that. Uh, All people are equal. All people are in need of a Savior. All people have to answer to God for what they do and don't do. But know this, that God is sovereign over those things as well. And that He has placed us in a particular time and a particular place and under authority. And so he, He speaks of the King and He says, Obey the King. Obey the King. Um, as we look at this, he's going to go on. And, and by the way, I, I don't think this passage is necessarily a passage, a, a spiritual passage about um, obeying the king because you're, you're obeying God. Um, he's talking about obeying uh, the king because it's going to be good for you. Um, what's interesting for some of us who have bucked authority in the past, how'd that go for you? How'd that work out? You know, uh, sometimes we, we pride ourselves. You know, I stood up to my boss and I told him what for that last day I worked there. <laughs> you know, we, uh, you know, I, I, this, I had this teacher and, you know, she, she wanted to tell me this, but I said, I'm going to do what I want. And she gave me an F on that paper. Um, yeah, you can do that. You can do that, but there's costs. And I believe that he's also not just talking about the relationship with God, but, but this idea of how to live down here on this earth. Obey the king. He, he says this in verse 2 or verse 3. He says, do not uh, be in a hurry to leave the king's presence or do not stand up to a bad cause. This idea uh, is most likely the, to have a hearing among the king and to make him mad, and then to get out of there. Uh, 
or to suggest something and say, I'm going to stay here until you do what I want you to do. Um, he, he takes a step back and he says, you can interject that. You can, uh, you can speak with a king, but know this, that the king will do whatever he wants to do. That bothers us. But know this, that's part of living in this world today, that we will have authorities that will do what they want to do. Uh, in verse 4, it speaks of the supremacy of the king, and it says, uh, since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Um, I think you can be encouraged by this in authority all the time that everyone will have to answer to God. Uh, they may not answer to you. They may not even answer to a, a popular vote. It, it may be that everyone's against them. And they still do that. But remember that the, the king or the one in authority is one that his words uh, are not that they can't be questioned, but most of the time they're not a, able to switch them or to change them. It says in verse 5 that it's this idea of going well. He says, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. That idea of of taking steps based upon uh, your authority or that king's desire. Uh, that, and, and if you follow that, if you follow in step, um, this is what will happen. It will go well with you. Some of us struggle with the idea of paying taxes for things that we don't believe in and this and that. I want to tell you that there's a, uh, it's not so much a moral issue, but a practical one, right? Uh, that you... Uh, some of you say, well, I, I have, you know, these convictions that I shouldn't do this. Do you also have a conviction that you would live with your family? Because some of us have this idea that we're not going to do it and uh, push to the end, you would be separated from your family. You would go to jail or to prison or it'd be, it would not go well for your family. And so sometimes your convictions will collide, right? Uh the idea of uh, not being willing to do this, but also being willing to provide and to be with your family. And so uh, don't be afraid to be practical on those things, knowing uh, that this is part of living in this world. He goes on and he speaks of this idea of an uncertain future. And, and in this passage, know this, that over and over and over again, He's taking us, he is taking us, his readers, and he is taking us from our lofty and high position, and he's bringing us down. He's bringing us down to our lowly position. He's bringing us down to a humble position, a position where we are not great. And this is probably one of the struggles to our own soul with reading the book of Ecclesiastes. That we want to be thought of as high and mighty and great and we can move mountains and change worlds and we are smart and we are the best and we can do it all. And the book of Ecclesiastes has a totally different message than that. Um, and so as we look at this to remember that it is uh, God's desire that we are lowly, that we are humble. Um, as he brings us down, he, he speaks in verse 7. He says, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone uh, what else is to come? Speaking of the days ahead, 
as no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. He speaks of just generally the future that no one knows, uh, which is pretty frustrating, right? It's that idea of how do you plan for an unknown future? Um, and then that, that one event that he comes to over and over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, our death, our departure from this life. <coughs> Wouldn't it be great to know the day that you're going to die? It'd be great. It'd be great. If it was tomorrow, what would you do today? Or what wouldn't you do today? <laughs> right? And some of us would look around and, you know, there's all these things, these lists of things that we're going to do, and we got to get them done, right? And you say, no, but I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Or you, you, the idea of planning for the future, and uh, there's this, uh, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when... Uh, the day of our death is, the, that chosen time of God. And by the way, I want to encourage you. I, I love saying this over and over again because I think it's important for us to remember. We do not choose when we die, nor does a doctor. Uh, this isn't something that we have control and we can wait for this or wait for that. Or, uh, we can't do that. The Scripture tells us something very different tells us that there's a day, there's a day, and it's in God's own control, and so, and it's an unknown day, and it's an unknown day. Remember that. Uh, as you go through the death of loved ones, and you go through uh, the planning of your own life to remember that this is unknown, he looks at this, and uh, he, he quickly couples this idea, and this is one of, as he brings up death, most of the time, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes right to this other one. He says, and, and no one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not be released from those who practice it. He quickly, when he talks about death, he quickly connects it to those who are evildoers. And I, I want to tell you that that's the purpose to remember your own death, to remember that you will uh, be end, your life will end here on this earth it is a connection with you doing what's right here on this earth. Um, that you will go and you will meet your maker. You will go and have to answer for this life. And so for us to be ones who are safely, safely uh, in the family of God by the price of what Jesus did on the cross, to know that we're right, and then to, to use this life to honor him, because we know that the days will not go on and on, that we will die one day. Very important. And so he talks about this section. He, he talks about it in terms of obeying the king or being underneath the king, finding our lowly position, remembering that we don't know the future, remembering that our life will come to an end. We should obey the king. We should obey the king. Which brings us to the second point, and I would say the more important point. Uh, not that all the that all the scripture isn't equally as important, but this brings to us something that uh, is is overarching, even over the idea of the king himself. And the the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is 
has got inspired frustration. Inspired frustration. I, I want to say it that way because uh, I want to tell you that this life is frustrating. Uh, that there's plenty of things that you're going to look out and see. And, and some of us want to be the power of positive thinkers. And, and we look at uh, things and, and we're looking for the bright side of it. I want to tell you that some of the things in this life, in and of themselves, there is no bright side to. It, it's, a, it's a picture, it's a mark of the sin in this life that has impacted both relationships and this world that we see. And we look at it, we, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And this is part of the frustration that we have as well. There's hope in that. There's hope in that. Uh, there's something to cling to, but it may not be as part of what we're staring at. And so uh, we get this second section here, fearing the king. And uh, to, to kind of get to the idea of this fearing of the king, um, he once again goes back to what he sees, what he sees. And this is... Uh, through the eyes of the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes over and over again, he says this, And this I saw, and I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. Uh, there is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. This idea of he sees wickedness where others control others, um, and it's bad, it's bad. This idea of treating others poorly, of enslaving them, of pushing them around. In our day and age, we would say bullying, right? Um, it's overused, right? It's overused. But this idea of someone lording it over it. He, he may be referring to the king prior, but this idea, he, him seeing this lording over. Uh, verse 10, he says, then, too, I saw the wicked buried, and he, he's already talked about this theme as well. Uh, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and to go in the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. The, the picture being this, that uh, he watched wicked men succeed. So much so that they were even respected in the community. Uh, that they would go in even spiritual realms and, and they would go there. And then at the end of their life, there was this celebration of their life, this honoring of their life. And he goes, wait a minute, they were wicked. It's not right. Uh, this is one of the frustrations that he keeps coming back to is this idea that the wicked can seem to succeed. He saw this with his mind, and as he struggled through this, he watched the burial of the wicked, and knowing who they were, how they used to go to the holy place, they used to receive praise in the city. And he comes back and he says, this too is meaningless. This leaves me empty. This is this fleeting idea that life doesn't mean what I think it should mean. Vanity. He looks at the... Really, this is a section of frustration of injustice. How should it go in our minds, right? Somebody does something wicked, the lightning bolt just drops them dead right in Albertsons, right? Right at their, you know, they're at their work desk, they're doing something wrong on the computer, and wham, they're on their keyboard, right? They're dead. That's the way we think this should happen. 
wickedness should go straight to, uh, you know, this judgment that, from God. And it should be one where all should see. But yet it doesn't. In fact, he, he goes on, he says, verse 11, when, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Welcome to California. Right? United States of America. Boy, it's a difficult deal, right? Because we want to treat everyone fairly. And it's important to be fair. But to find people who are fair, who can judge people that fairly is, you know, like there's all kinds of layers of problems here. But what happens when there's not swift justice? When there's not swift justice, those who desire to do wrong will go, oh, sweet, I can carry out the plans and schemes that I had of doing this because I won't be caught. It, I won't receive the penalty. Um, I, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, this is, is part of the problems that we have in this life. And I realize that there's problems in judging uh, correctly as well, even in parenting, right? Uh, you don't always get it right. Uh, the injustices our kids can talk about are many. <clears throat> we look at this, but slow justice increases crime and as he's looking this is part of the frustration he looks out he sees these things he sees the one lording over it he sees the one uh, who is buried in his wickedness and no never uh, does someone come and say who this man really is he sees criminals that continue to go on and more crime coming after it verse 12 he says although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes May live a long time. What a, what a frustration. He talked about this in the last passage we looked at as well. This idea that the good uh, die young, but those who are wicked have long life. And we know those things. And we, we look at those and we go, uh, it shouldn't be this way. It's injustice for me. But in the middle of verse 12, he turns the corner. And this is where... Uh, a reoccurring theme, and really the conclusion, the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes comes in. Um, he says this, middle of verse 12, he says, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. I know that this is true. I know that it will be better. I know that fearing God is the answer. If you think about that, uh, once again, it becomes clarifying. I remember, uh, it's interesting, uh, boys have played uh, baseball, and especially in the younger uh, years, uh, dads and grandfathers and parents are a big deal. And I remember, you know, there's always a lot of people yelling on the little league field. I don't know why they're always yelling, you know. Especially the crazy moms, you know, the A's and stuff like that. You know, no, uh, we uh, we had so much fun watching that and cheering and this and that. And and kids struggle with with what am I supposed to be listening to? But I remember very vividly this one uh, this one young man, he, you know, 10, 11 years old or whatever, and he he's trying to hit. I say trying because it's hard to do, and he, he he's trying to hit and. Uh, his his parent is over in the, the third base. He's the third base coach, and uh, as he's hitting, as he's hitting, every pitch 
he, he steps out and he looks at his dad. And he's not looking for a sign or anything like that. He's looking for approval. He's looking to say, you know, did I do right? Should I have swung? Should I have not swung? Should I, should I do something different? And, and it was interesting, you know, the parents, you know, the, there were different reactions, some good, some bad. But the picture here is this, very important, that uh, if you're going to listen to your coach who's in third base, or maybe you should listen to your first base coach, or maybe there's another coach, or maybe your mom's sitting over here, or maybe your brother's sitting over here, or maybe your friend on the other team is in center field, or what, and, and it, it gets too much. It gets too much, and, and you ask the question, well, what am I supposed to be doing? In the book of Ecclesiastes, over and over again, it calls us to fear God, to fear God. That uh, the simplicity of this life, the, the thing in the midst of injustice, the midst of frustration, the, the midst of, in the midst of confusion, what, what should we be doing? Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they feared before him. Listen to that. Listen to how clarifying that is. Even in the midst of injustice and, in, and confusion, what should you be doing? It looks like it's going well for the wicked. It looks that way. But the writer says, I know, I know that it will go well for the one who fears God. And I want to tell you this morning, I know, I read it, I read it right here. I know that for you, it will go well with you. Your life will be good if you fear God. I know that. That will be the, the difference maker for you. Whether you fear God or whether you're chasing your tail trying to uh, succeed. Maybe falling into the, the clutches of the wicked. Maybe falling into the, uh, the crimes of the day. He says, fear God. Fear God. It's better. It's better to fear God. Even with all the limitations down here on this one, it's better for you. And I would even say it in the negative because that's the way it's written. Verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. I want to tell you that um, it's important for us to look upon wickedness. And even if we can't see it, to know that it's true, that it's not going to go well for them. It's not going to go well. And if I follow in the footsteps of the wicked, it will not go well for me. I want to tell you that this is much of what we do in youth ministry here at Bear Valley Church. We remind our young people of the Scriptures. We remind them of God is the one who they have to answer to. The reminder that in, in the midst of all the other voices... But they should fear their God, their maker. I want to give you this morning uh, 
three eternal, list, uh, eternal lessons for this life. And I want to say it, eternal lessons for this life, because um, you know how some of you who are older, you learn, you know how you learn the wrong things? You know how they taught you things in school and then they changed them on you? I know there's commas that go some places that used to not go there and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you learned about, you know, some of you were, um, you learned about uh, different things that don't even exist anymore. Uh, and it, it seems frustrating and changing all the time. And, and, but, but I want to tell you that as we look at this, this is the eternal lesson for today that will not go out of style tomorrow. And it, it doesn't matter if tomorrow is your day, right? It doesn't matter if tomorrow is your, the day of death. This eternal lesson will still be true for you and for me. And so I want to give them to you, just three this morning. Uh, and I, I want to say it this way, and I, I struggle with the wording here. Because we are limited and simple, limited and simple, because we are lowly, because we can't take it all in, we should obey the king and fear God. Because, because we are limited and simple, because we can't take it all in. I, I, I say this, I want to say it the other way. If you're, if you're as significant as the king, take him on. Take him on. Don't listen. If you're uh, as important and wise as the God of the universe, you don't have to listen to him. You don't have to fear him. But because we are lesser than both, that we should find our place. We should find our place obeying the king and fearing our God. Secondly, I want to tell you this, and it's more of a, um, a statement about this life. Your life could go well for you. Could go well for you. And I say could... Because it's contingent. It's contingent. And what is it contingent on? You fearing God. It's interesting. Some of us look at life and we see it as happenstance. You know, things just kind of happen. You know, I got bad luck. You know, this isn't my day or month or decade, right? You know, just things are going bad for me. It just must be bad luck. I'm in a streak or something like that. I want to tell you, that's not true. That's not true. The scripture says this, that it could go well for you. It could go well. I think about um, the choices that we make, uh, the things that we do, and most of them come back to haunt us because we chose not to fear God. We were afraid of something else. We we're afraid of being poor. We we're afraid of being unwanted. We we're afraid of uh, being left behind. We we're afraid of not having any friends. We we're afraid of something, but it was not God. Your life could go well for you. And lastly, I want to say this. Confidence in this life comes from fearing God. Confidence in this life comes from fearing God. You look at the scriptures and you see stories uh, of people of faith. You think of <clears throat> Daniel in the lion's den and you, you say, how did he do that? 
you, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you see them, and uh, you see David, you see Moses, you, you see Joshua, and you say, what was the thing about that? What, how, how did that work out? How did they become these confident people of faith? Well, it had everything to do, it had everything to do with them fearing God. When you have the right answer, when you're confident that you have the right answer, you won't change for anything. And that will grant you confidence in this life. I want to tell you that most of us are not confident because we're trying to spin plates. We're trying to manage everyone's expectations. We're trying to get, get what we want as well as get what the Lord has and get, get it all. We're trying to have it all. I want to tell you, confidence in this life comes from fearing God. I'm going to ask uh, that you bow with me, and we'll just ask that God will continue to work on us in these issues of obeying the King and fearing, fearing our God. God, we ask that you would uh, cement this uh, message to our hearts, that you would make it part of us, that you would Keep it clear in our hearts. God, I know there are many temptations and uh, we do look like we're chasing our tail so many times trying to please everyone. God, may we see you as a singular uh, place of affirmation, that we would look to you for guidance, that we would look to you for justice, that we would look to you for marching orders in this life. God, I think especially of our young people, knowing that the implications of their life are mostly ahead of them. God, I pray that they would learn to fear you. God, may we be a church that cares only what you think. God, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed. Please remember to pray for our middle schoolers this week.